All right, why don't you turn to Matthew 24, 45, please. Matthew 24, verse 45, and we'll run all the way to the end of chapter 25. Jesus has pronounced judgment over Jerusalem, as you know. He said, you shall see me no more till you say, blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord, back in chapter 23, verse 39. Who? Israel, the Jews. He's talking to them. We noted that the context of Matthew 24 is the nature and identity of the seven-year tribulation and great tribulation finalizing in the second coming. You can't miss it. All through chapter 24, even to 25, you have the tribulation pointed out, great tribulation. You have the second coming, second coming, second coming. Um, the entire Olivet Discourse is dealing with the second coming, not the rapture of the church. The people involved are the Jews who will go through the tribulation and the great tribulation, not the church. Um, we went as far as verse 45, where it says, Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming in an hour that you do not expect. The application now comes through three connecting parables that emphasize human responsibility and accountability for the Jew present to be gathered on the earth at the second coming of Jesus as he returns with this church. And again, let me give you about three verses, 46, 48, and 50. Again, the second coming. Now, the parable of the wise, faithful servant that we'll see here and the wicked servant focus on faithful uh, service from 45 to 51. The following one, the five wise and foolish virgins focus on being prepared and watching as Jesus judges the 12 tribes of Israel to see who enters the kingdom age. And that's from verse 1 of 25 to 13, and it goes on to the next one, the parable of the talents, according to uh, one's abilities, focusing on human accountability, um, verse 14 through 30. So the three parables are linked together, resulting in judgment of the saved and who are not saved of the Jews the remnant that entered the kingdom age. Now, we know that there's also going to be many Gentiles that get saved during the tribulation, great tribulation, that will not take the mark of the beast and they will enter the kingdom of, of the kingdom age. Okay? But Matthew is focusing on the Jew. Okay? So let's begin here in verse 45 to 51, the parable of the faithful and evil servant. 45, the faithful and wise servant, the parable is introduced with the rhetorical question, um, about the faithful servant. Who then is the faithful and wise servant whom his master made ruler over his household? The backdrop is the previous verse, the Lord's second coming. The word servant, doulos, identifies a servant by choice, a household manager. Um, back to the Old Testament of the uh, one who had a, a hole put in his ear and an earring, one who served his master for life by choice. The servants are those who have gone through the tribulation and great tribulation. This is the one that he's speaking about, okay? The 144,000 and, and, and others. Now, the responsibility and accountability is also stated to give them food in due season. Remember, this is a parable. It's to manage and multiply the master's goods to supply others. His responsibility is based on privilege. The faithful servant in verse 46 is to be loyal. The responsibility of the servant results in being commended. Blessed is that servant whom his master 
when he comes. The word blessed reminds of the Beatitudes, Marcarios. It's an exclamation, and it means, oh, how happy. And we have different Beatitudes, not only in Matthew, but in the book of Revelation and other places. Those who were in the tribulation, not the church. He's not talking to the church here. The church is nowhere in. The church has been raptured at the beginning of the tribulation, as we've seen. Notice the accountability of the servant was in being faithful. Will find so doing. Making him a doer. Rejecting the deception of the Antichrist. The Lord finds him as a faithful servant when he comes. In uh, Luke 19, 13 says, So he called ten of his servants, delivered to them ten minas, and said to them, Do business till I come. So these are the individuals that will be living through the tribulation, great tribulation, focusing on the Jew through Matthew, who will uh, serve the Lord, turn to the Lord, who will not serve the Antichrist, um, and they are pointed out here. Now, in verse 47, the promise of reward to the faithful servant is given to us. The ultimate authority is Jesus. Listen, assuredly I say to you, the reward that he will be make him ruler over all his goods. The reward is to enter the kingdom. The reward is that he or she would be ruler in the kingdom. To those who much is given, much more is required. Now, certainly all of this that I'm saying towards the Jew that's going through tribulation, can be applied in principle to us for reward with God. But the context is the tribulation, great tribulation, waiting for the second coming. So it's very important. In verse 48, the warning to the evil servant in the parable, the problem with the evil servant. But if that evil servant says in his heart, the character of the servant is stated as evil, cackles, bad in nature, wicked, the evil servant, once again, doulos, one by choice, the one who chooses to serve by choice, but he doesn't serve loyally or faithfully. Notice his self-deception. He says, my master is delaying his coming. The sin is to act contrary to what he knew to be true. The danger of self-deception is that it leads to unfaithfulness. It happens with a believer, happens with a husband, happens with a wife, happens with children, happens in business partnerships, whatever. In 49, the servant's evil conduct is given. He acts in a cruel way towards others and begins to beat his fellow servants. And the word beat there means to strike with the fist, with the whip. The evil is to his fellow servants, sons doulos, meaning others like him, his equals who serve the same master, believers waiting for the return of Christ, is abusing his authority and his position. Nothing new under the sun. Power corrupts, and absolute power corrupts absolutely. Very few men can handle power. Very few men. 
Notice he indulges himself with worldliness of excessive living and to eat and drink with the drunkards. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life in 1 John 2.16. This is where we lived before. This is at least where I lived before I was 23 years old when I came to the Lord. And you just live like the world, you know, and that's just what you do. And now all of a sudden the gospel comes to you and you realize your sin, your conviction, you turn to the Lord and he changes you. He turns you around. It doesn't mean that you cannot do those things still. You, su- you still have that capacity. But now your desire is not to be there, so you nurture the new man in the word of God, in prayer, in fellowship, in service to God. You live in the world, but not of the world. The boat, again, belongs in the water, but be careful the water doesn't get in the boat. It's just that simple. When you get to verse 50 and 51, the warning is to the evil servant about his self-deception, and certainly it's a warning to all of us. The master Jesus will catch that servant unaware and unprepared. Listen to his words. The master of that servant will come in a day when he is not looking for him and at an hour that he is not aware of. The word they're looking means to expect with hope. Looking. He is not. There's no hope. There's no expectation. Unaware. To not perceive. Being occupied by distractions. The master Jesus will punish such a servant and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion with the hypocrites. Cut in two means literally to cut into two parts and it's used of severe punishment or of a covenant sacrifice that you cut in two pieces and those making the covenant walk between the two pieces and the blood joins it together and the two that walk through it are responsible to keep that covenant. We see that in the Old Testament with Abraham as God walked through it. And then the prophet, also Jeremiah, shows us that. Now, the eternal separation, notice, is with the hypocrites. Hypocrites, the pretender, the actor, as a faithful servant of Jesus and appointed to him is punitive position. So, he served by choice, but his heart, character, that's the problem, the heart. And he began to deceive himself, and he is appointed with the hypocrite, the wicked servant here. Notice the location and duration of the punishment is clear. Do not minimize it. Do not lighten it. Do not try to explain it away. There should be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The location is the lake of fire. We talked about it this morning. Gehenna. That was made for Satan and his angels. Matthew twenty five forty one tells us that. The duration is for eternal separation from God. Literally, Death is separation from God. Why? He knew his master's will and did not do it. So it's appointed to him with the hypocrites. He knew his master's will. A non-believer. Did you know the master's will before you were a pagan? Before you were a Christian? No. Once you became a Christian, 
Now you know the master's will. So who's the warning to? It's real simple. Real simple. You don't warn dead people. You warn live people. Real simple. When we come to chapter 25, verse 1 through 13, we have the parable of the wise and foolish virgins. This passage is unique of Matthew, not found anywhere else. Again, he's addressing the Jew. The introduction to the parable in verse 1, the uh, specific time of the event is given. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be. The word then, once again, in context, is after Jesus has other waiting for his return to the earth um, with the church. Um, Catching many servants unaware, it's still Jewish ground here. Like the parable of the faithful and evil servant that we just um, read. The kingdom of heaven, um, we have noted, is the rule of God over the earth, promised to the Jewish nation, bringing judgment and setting up the kingdom age in the future. The kingdom of heaven is unique of Matthew. Um, No one else uses that phrase. It appears 32 times in Matthew. Nowhere else. Notice the comparison is likened to the ten virgins who took their lambs and went out to meet the groom, the bridegroom. Therefore, chapter 25 is still Jewish ground. The ten virgins is the regathering of Israel invited to the wedding supper of Jesus with his church on the earth. The wedding takes takes place in heaven. We return with him with our white gowns, Revelation 19, and we're coming back. He's going to judge the nations, as we saw this morning in depth. He's going to sit down with the 12 apostles and judge the 12 tribes of Israel, find out who is real Israel, who is not Israel. They enter the kingdom of God, and then the judgment of the nations, and then he'll find out who enters in, and they're going to attend the wedding. Those who are allowed in attend the wedding, okay? The judgment of the 12 tribes is stated by Jesus in Matthew 19, 28. That's when the, was, uh, many walked away from Jesus. They had left all, and the disciples said, well, how about us? We've left everything. And Jesus said um, to them, surely I say to you that in the regeneration, the kingdom age, I say to you that in the regeneration, when the Son of Man sits on the throne of his glory, you who followed me will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. Now, if you don't put the judgment of the 12 tribes, the first thing he comes back, and then the judgment of the nations, where are you going to put it? It's got to be there. In fact, um, Ezekiel 20, 33 through 38 gives the very details of having them go under his rod to purify Israel, who goes into the kingdom, who does not. That's Ezekiel 20, 33 to 38. Now, to put the church in these three parables is to say the Lord removes this church at the end of the seven-year tribulation and to teach that the church goes through tribulation and great tribulation, which is contrary to the promise of Jesus and the nature of the church. The church is a virgin bride. What groom would allow his bride to be ravished before he marries her? None. Romans 5, 9, 1 Thessalonians 5, 9. God has not appointed us to wrath, but to salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He will keep us from the hour, Revelation three ten, that will come upon the whole world. 
Now, in application, the principle, we can exhort people to be like these five wise virgins, vigilant, but not in the contextual interpretation. It is to the Jew that is waiting for the coming of Messiah. The church was raptured seven years earlier. You cannot go back and forth in Matthew 24 and 25. Matthew 24, 25, second coming, second coming, second coming, second coming. Okay? The day, you don't know the day or the hour is the day of the Lord. The Jew was looking for the day of the Lord. Luke talks about the rapture. Watch that you escape all these things. We'll, we'll get into that as we move along. Because we, the church, are looking for God to remove us. Okay, here he's talking to the Jew who will go through the tribulation and great tribulation, not the church. And so when we're raptured, we go before the beam of seat of Christ, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 12 through 15, 2 Corinthians 5, 10, and Romans 14, 10, I believe. The virgins here are parthenos, unmarried, sexually pure women, young women. They went out with their lamps to meet the bridegroom, who is Jesus, returning with his bride, you and I. Um... They are not the bride. Okay? These five, these ten are not the bride. Make note of that. The focus is on the Jews, not the Gentiles. Though many will be saved also. This is the Jewish custom of weddings. Of the groom going to get his bride at the father's house. No one knew the time. Then he would bring her to his own house. For the wedding feast. They are 144,000 Jews, the remnant, and those who have gone through the tribulation. Now remember the word parable is made up of two words, para, alongside, and boldly to throw. So you take something you commonly know, put it next to what you don't know, and in knowing what you do know, you'll know what you didn't know. That's what a parable is. A sower went out to sow seed, put the parable... Parallel to the sowing seed, it falls on the ground, sprouts up, so you understand it. That's what a parable is. A parable has one central message. The ten virgins here, the parable is the second coming. That's the central message. The punchline is prepared watchfulness, verse 13. Parables have one central message and one punchline. Okay? You do not give meaning to everything in a parable. You destroy the parable. And parables either contrast or compare. All right? Here is the comparisons of wise and foolish. Okay? It's a contrast. Now, verse 2 through 5, we get the identification of the character of the virgins. The clear contrast, now five of them were wise and five were foolish. The obvious negligence, those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. The necessary preparedness, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. Some have interpreted the oil to be the Holy Spirit, even in speaking in tongues. It's, it's foolishness. There's nothing in there regarding this. So a lot of people take parables and they spiritualize them or they allegorize them in a subjective interpretation that is foreign to the entire context. All right? A lot of the emergent church does teaching like that today. 
It's all subjective. It's all very allegorical. It's contrary to biblical exposition. The normal waiting, verse 5. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. The word slumber means to nod and the word slept means to keep on sleeping. No spiritual distractions or sin are indicated here. It's just a mere fact of when you wait, you nod out, you slumber. This is not sin. You don't give a meaning to it. It's just telling a story. Six through nine, the proclamation of the groom's coming, the long-awaited words. And at midnight, a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go out to meet him. The equal response to the cry is stated. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. The word trim means to put things in order, to get, we get our word cosmetic from it. Taking things out of order, into order. Okay? The crisis of the foolish. Listen. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. This does not indicate the Holy Spirit again. Okay? You cannot give somebody the Holy Spirit. <laughs> All right? The advice of the wise. But the wise answered and saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you. Go out rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. Worse yet, you cannot buy the Holy Spirit. Simon Magus thought to do so. And Peter condemn him for that. Each must prepare the Lord's coming. This is what the thing, the focus here. Their lack of preparation reveal their lack of seriousness in waiting the arrival of the groom. There are a lot of people that go to church every week, every Sunday, midweek and all, but they're not really serious about the Lord's coming. They really don't believe he's coming. Okay? This is nothing new. The days of Noah have already been illustrated in chapter 24. They didn't believe there was going to be a flood. They didn't believe God was going to judge the world. It's just life as usual. Happens every generation. Verse 10 to 12. The admission to the wedding feast. The benefit of being ready is given. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding and the door was shut. You remember these words, then he said to me, right, blessed are those who are called to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true sayings of God, Revelation 19.9. The wedding of us and Jesus takes place in heaven after the rapture. After we go through the beam of seat of Christ, we come back with him. Israel is the spouse that's been put away by divorce because of her adulterous conduct. She will be reconciled clearly through all the prophets. Paul the Apostle in Romans chapter 9 and 10 and 11 deals with it. 11, blindness and parties happen in Israel until the fullness of the Gentile comes in. Do not confuse a wife who's been married, been adulterous, divorced, and then reconcile with the virgin bride who's looking to be married 
and going on a honeymoon. If you confuse them, you're going to get in trouble. Okay? I say this because most people teach today that God is through with Israel. It's called replacement theology. I reject it. It's blasphemous. It's completely contrary to Scripture. In fact, it's anti-Semitic. And it began with the Catholic Church back in the 4th century with Augustine. And it's carried on ever since, now into the Protestant movement. Amazing. Now, the consequence of not being ready in verse 11 and 12. The appeal is afterwards. The other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. The denial is to those who are not the true Israel. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Paul says, not all are Israel who say they're Israel. Romans 9, 6. Jesus, earlier in chapter 7, 23, says, I never knew you. Refuse them as intruders. And so many people take these two verses and say, see, if you're really born again, then he'll never deny you. That's not what the scripture's saying. Take it in context. Okay? Some people are never born again. They look like it. They, they sound like it. They smell like it. But they're not. Others are born again. And they go back into the world. It's not A or B. It's A, B, or C, ladies and gentlemen. The Bible teaches that very clearly. All the warnings are to believers, not to non-believers. Very, very clear. And so the warning and application for being ready in verse 13. Watch therefore the punchline. For you know neither the day nor the hour in which, what? The rapture takes place? The Son of Man is coming. Second coming. So how can you teach the, ten, the parable of the ten virgins is the rapture? Absolutely out of context. Rapture is doctrine. I believe in it. We teach it. But not from here. It's completely foreign to the context. The word watch there means to give strict attention, be cautious, to take heed. Neither know the day or hour like the days of Noah earlier. They did not believe. Matthew twenty four thirty seven. They knew judgment was coming and God gave them signs. Methuselah, his name means when he dies, the end shall come. He was the son of Enoch in Genesis 5, 21 and 22. And yet they still didn't believe Methuselah died the very day of the flood. <laughs> Longest living person, 969 years. And so the first coming of Jesus Christ to Israel, Daniel gave um, the very day from the sign of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, Daniel 9, 24 to 26. From March 14, 445 B.C., when Artaxerxes gave the command to Nehemiah to restore and rebuild Jerusalem, you go forward 483 years to the day based on a 360 biblical calendar or 173,880 days. Jesus, right, Jesus Christ rode into Jerusalem on a donkey, Matthew 21, to the very day. He gave us the exact. Jesus says, if you would have known this, your day. The things that were prepared for you, but now they're hidden from your eyes. They had the scriptures. They ignored the scriptures. 
Wow. So he pronounced curse over them. Jesus affirms that they should have known the day, but due to unbelief, they were caught unawares. Luke 19, 41 and 42, as he wept over Jerusalem. So again, the warning to the Jew in the great tribulation to watch in order not to be caught unawares, though they know the signs to begin the countdown. Daniel gives it 1,290 days. In Daniel 12, 11, Matthew 24, 15, the abomination desolation, 2 Thessalonians 2, 3 through 4, the Antichrist will go into the temple, declare himself God, demand that everybody worship him. Wow. Revelation 13. But even though the information's there, it doesn't mean people believe the dates of Noah. They knew. They were warned 120 years. They did not believe. The parable teaches vigilance in view of the Lord's coming. Matthew is writing to the Jews who are to be ready at the end of the seven years and says, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Jesus said that, Matthew 23, 39. You shall not see me again till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Mark writes to the Romans and he tells them, Watch lest coming suddenly he find you sleeping. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Mark 13, 35, 36, and 37. Luke is writing to the Gentiles or the Greek believers. And he says this, Watch therefore and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things. All these things, tribulation, great tribulation. That will come up to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Luke 23, uh, Luke 21, I'm sorry, um, 36 to 37. It's the only gospel that has an escape clause. Escape all these things and stand before the Son of Man. There is the rapture. Jesus said in John 14, stop being afraid. If you believe in God, believe also in me. If you believe in my house, my father's house, are many mansions, abiding places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. Where I am there, you may be also. And if I go, I will come back to receive you to myself. That where I am, there you may be also. You must make a distinction between Jesus coming back with his bride and coming to receive his bride. He receives his bride at the rapture at the beginning of the day of the Lord, at the attack of Israel by Russia. And then he comes back with his wife, with his bride, I'm sorry, the church, seven years later, right here. You must make that distinction or you will put the church in the tribulation and great tribulation. The scriptures do not teach that. Context is what brings confusion. And so, this is the church and her privilege to be removed from this time as the bride of Christ. Verse 14 through 30, now you have the parable of the talents. This parable, again, is found only in Matthew. Matthew has many things that he alone reveals to us. The introduction to the parable, 14 and 15, the comparable parable here, the comparable uh, parable to the kingdom. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling 
to a far country who calls his own servants and delivers his goods to them. There are many parables that Jesus centers upon responsibility of stewardship. Nothing belongs to them. Everything belongs to their masters. And he uses these parables so that people are prepared. They're looking for the Lord. The man represents the Lord Jesus. The servants represent the followers of Jesus at his coming, not the church but those believers in the tribulation, great tribulation, including Jews. Now, the comparable ability in verse 15. And to one, he gave five talents. To another, two. To another, one. And each according to his ability. And immediately, he went away on a journey. Some parallel the parable of the menace. In Luke 19, 12 through 27, but it's different. Dealing with the same amount given to each. This one's different. It's not the same parable. You have to look and compare them exactly. A talent here is a set weight of gold, about 200 pounds, silver about 100 pounds, depending on what it is, we're not told. A talent equaled about 6,000 denarii. One denarii was one day's wages. This is a lot of money. Okay? This is 6,000 days of wages. It's a huge amount. The talent. Sometimes it's taught people get very creative. You know, and you might have a talent, or you know, a talent of playing music and, and a skill of building houses. And it's not what it's talking about. God doesn't need your help. He doesn't need you to add to the Bible. Context, context, context. When it's literal, it's literal. When it's figurative, it's figurative. And even when it's figurative, it may be literal. Okay? So, you have to read the context. Very important. He gave talents according notice to their ability. No one had a disadvantage. And no one had an advantage over another one. All right? The man left to a far country, the parable teaches, diligence in view of the Lord's return. In 16 and 17, the transaction of the servants as stewards, the first double, what was entrusted to him, then he, he who had received the five talents went and traded with them, and he made another five talents. The second likewise in 17, double, it was entrusted to him, and likewise he also, who had received two, gained two more also. The third, in verse 18, buried what was entrusted to him, but he, there's a contrast, but he, who had received one, went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. Not his. Everything you and I have, ladies and gentlemen, belongs to the Lord. He has given it to us. We're stewards of what he gives us. Look at 19 through 23. The first two increase a hundredfold. Verse 19, the return of the master. Return, inquired about his prophet. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The first resorted, or reported here, the gains he acquired for his master. Verse 20. So he who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered to me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides 
them. Hundredfold, that's pretty good. The recompense by the master is given in 21. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. The parable is talking about the entrance into the kingdom age. Okay? They're waiting for the second coming. Context, context, context. The second in verse 22 also reported uh, the gains he acquired for his master. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered to me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. The recompense by the master again, his Lord said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. The stewards, they own nothing, yet were responsible according to their ability and their reward was threefold. He heard, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. Loyalty, fidelity. Second, he heard, I will make you ruler over many things. Promotion doesn't come from these, the West, but from the Lord. 103.12, Psalm. He heard, enter into the joy of your Lord, the kingdom age. The third servant did nothing with his talent. Verse 24 and 25. The third reported his accusations of his master. <laughs> then he who had received the one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. He accused him of being a hard man. The word harsh is their literal word, rough and intolerable. He accused him of being unjust, reaping where he had not sown and gathering where he had not scattered seed. The third reported also his excuses. Verse 25. And I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. He feared man. He feared losing the talent. He turned the talent back over to the master. Did nothing. Absolutely nothing. Now, in principle, we can take this to our lives. What are we doing with the things that God's given it to us in principle? In application. With your um, the things you have, the things you possess, the money you earn, um, the home that God has given you, the children, the wife, the husband, stewards of all of that. God will hold us responsible for them. Verse 26 through 30, the master now reveals the truth about the irresponsibility of the third servant. It's this, character. 
He revealed the character of the man. Listen to what he says in verse 26. But his Lord answered and said to him, You wicked and lazy servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I do not scatter seed. The word wicked is ponros. It means evil in nature, corrupt in delighting to make others corrupt also. is use of Satan, the wicked one in 1 John 5, 18 and 19. The word lazy means slothful, not diligent and responsible. See, some people say, you know, well, you know, I think I'll just go into the ministry. Because they think in ministry you do nothing. You know, you just as pastors, they just, they just kind of golf, you know, all week long. And then on Sunday, they just get up there and talk. You know, that's all. Easy job. Listen. If you choose to be in ministry and God has not called you and anointed you, God help the people and then God help you. I am amazed every time I get behind this pulpit or I have to study through the years what God has done, the teachings he brings forth, all of that. All of it's the Lord, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not that smart. I never call myself. That was not my goal in life. I went to school. I was going to be a Spanish and gymnastic coach, Spanish teacher. And God messed my life up for good. Not for evil, for good. Okay? But you have to make sure God calls you. Okay? A lot of lazy people in ministry. I know a lot of them. He reveals what he should have done. Verse 27 so you ought to have deposited my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I would have received back my own with interest. The banks give you right now, what, 1%? What an insult. But it's better than nothing, right? He revealed his loss. Therefore, take the talent from him and give it to him who has 10 talents. To those much is given, much more is required, right? He reveals the punchline of the parable. 29. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even that, what he has, will be taken away. The parable of the talents according to ability teaches personal responsibility at the second coming. Though we cannot apply it and we can't apply it in principle to the church, but not the context because it's the second coming. All right. Very important. I am purposely repeating this over and over again because Matthew 24 and 25 get all jacked up with interpretations. People go every which way. Verse 30, reveal the eternal punishment for those who do not serve him and cast the unprofitable servant into utter darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Unprofitable servants, they're not prepared to meet the Lord's return. Gehenna, the lake of fire. Jesus says, when you have done all that you, are, you should and you ought, call yourself an unprofitable servant. Wow. Perspective. Verse 31 to 46, you have the judgment of the nations. The passage is unique also of Matthew. This morning we dealt with it in depth. We're just going to go through general exposition, 31 to 33. The description of the coming judgment. The time of judgment here when the Son of Man comes in his glory. Mark it well, verse 31. This is the second coming 
of Jesus to the earth at the end of the seven years, the 70 week of Daniel, not Daniel 9.27. The exact timing seems to be the first thing that Jesus does at his returns. There is a 75 day difference that Daniel gives us in Daniel 12, 11 through 12 that kind of sets that time for this. Um, uh, Jude 14 tells us that um, Jesus is coming with 10,000 of his saints in the second coming. The second coming is given all the way back in Genesis, the seventh from Adam, Enoch. Okay? Second coming is the theme. Of Matthew 24 and 25. Again I'm repeating. Notice the company coming with Jesus. For judgment is all the holy angels. Angels are all around us. Uh, they're the throne of heaven. Ezekiel chapter 1. Chapter 10. Revelation 4 and 5. They are ministering spirits of the earth of salvation. They serve God. Psalm 103.20. Hebrews 1.14. They're in the Old Testament. and the New Testament. All over, this room is filled with angels, good angels, bad angels. There's warfare going on here. If God would open our eyes, you would freak out. The position of Jesus is all authority and power for judgment. Then he will sit on the throne of his glory. Listen to what the scripture says. So Jesus said to them, Surely I say to you, in the regeneration, the Son of Man will sit on the throne of his glory. And you who have followed me, will also sit on 12 thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. I already gave it to you. I'm giving it to you again. Matthew 19, 28. This has to be the place of that. The people under judgment, all the nations will be gathered to him. Nations is ethnos, ethnic groups. They are the nations on earth during the seven-year tribulation. The judgment is, as we will see, focusing upon how they treated the Jew during the great tribulation. Verse 40 and 44 are key verses. The division of two groups. And he will separate one from the other. The shepherd, like the shepherd divides the sheep from the goats. Sheep belong to God. Goats do not belong to God. God judged the past shepherds of Israel in Ezekiel 34, 17. For not feeding the flock of God. Shepherds, pastors are to feed the flock of God. If one of you would show up tonight only, I will teach you the same thing I'm teaching right now. I do not work on consignment. I study as hard for one as whoever shows up. It makes no difference. It makes no difference to me. Numbers do not impress me. God takes care of all that. Very, very important. Now, the distinction between the two groups in 33, and he will set the sheep on the right hand and the goat on the left, the right hand of the place of honor, privilege, blessing, and favors we said this morning, the left hand the place of dishonor, no privilege, cursing, and disfavor. 34 through 40, the proclamation of Jesus to the sheep, the Lord will welcome them into the kingdom. Listen to his words. Then the king will say, to those on the right hand. Verse 34. Come you blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom. Prepare for you from the foundations of the world. All the promises to Israel. Will be fulfilled during the kingdom age. God is not through with Israel. Blindness and part happened to Israel. Until the fullness of the Gentile comes in. Paul said in Romans 11.25. The Lord Jesus will express the reason. For allowing them to enter the kingdom. 
Loving compassion and mercy. Verse 35 and 36. For I was hungry, you gave me the food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was stranger, you took me in. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. That's the Jew under persecution, under the Antichrist. Tribulation, great tribulation. This is not for missionaries. It's out of context. People use it for missionaries all the time. This context here is the Jew during the Great Tribulation. The sheep will ask when they did such loving, compassion, and merciful deeds. In 37 to 9, then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you drink? When did we see you a stranger and take you in, naked and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? They were completely oblivious as doing it to the suffering Jews. They were doing it to Jesus. The Lord will inform them that when they did it to the Jew during the tribulation, the great tribulation, they were doing it as unto him. And the king will answer, verse 40, and say to them, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren. There's the key. The Jew, you did it unto me. The context demands such an interpretation and rejects all others, the least of my brethren, the Jew. The principle of being compassionate and merciful to others can be applied as Christians now, but in principle and application. But it, this context cannot be applied to us. Verse 20, 41 to 46, the proclamation of Jesus to the goats now, the flip side. The Lord Jesus will condemn them to Gehenna. Then he will also say to those on the left hand, Depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. The word depart means to leave or go away from Jesus. And really, this is just a continuation of what they had lived for during the tribulation and great tribulation. They were not living for Jesus, trusting Jesus. In fact, they're on the antichrist side to an extent this is an imperative command in the present tense in the middle voice they were to leave the, take themselves out from the presence of jesus the everlasting fire of gehenna is the lake of fire gehenna same place prepare for the devil and his angels it was never made for any man or woman yet they will be there because they are rebels like satan and the third of his angels everlasting fire Eternity, do not water it down. It's Jesus speaking. If you think you're more compassionate than Jesus, shame on you. If you say, well, I can't believe in a God, well, you're lost, not his. He's the epitome of holiness. You're not. So don't take away the sting and the warning that God gives to every rotten sinner to escape hell and Gehenna. Leave the gospel alone. The Lord Jesus gives the reason for condemning them to Gehenna. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was stranger and you did not take me in. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison you did not visit me. And the ghost will last like the others when they neglected such acts of loving compassion and mercy. Then in verse 44, they also will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry, thirsty, stranger, naked, sick, in prison, and did not minister to you? 
the Lord will again respond and inform them that when they did not do it to the Jew during the great tribulation, they didn't do it to him. Then he will answer them saying, Assuredly, I say to you, inasmuch as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Sins of omission are as bad as sins of commission. When you know to do good and you do it not, it is sin to us, Paul says. Real easy, real simple. Look at 46, the summary statement declared by Jesus regards two roles, two destinies. And these will go away into everlasting punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. After the white throne judgment, this will take place for every non-believer. The devil who deceived them was cast in the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast, the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Revelation 20 verse 10. Satan was bound for the thousand years. He's let loose at the end, the last rebellion, the white throne judgment. Every non-believer is judged and is going to be consigned to punishment in the lake of fire. Satan will be cast out there. Death will be cast there. Incredible. Death and Hades are cast in the lake of fire. This is the second death, Revelation 20, verse 14. Anyone not found written in the book of life will be cast in the lake of fire, Revelation 20, verse 15. All these are the words of Jesus, ladies and gentlemen. I wouldn't mess with them. Many people are messing with the Bible today, making it gender neutral, removing a lot of the punishment the cursings, whoa, don't mess with God's word. In the new heaven and earth, the new Jerusalem, the holy city, there will be no sin or sinners. Listen carefully. Revelation 21, 8. But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in the lake, which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Revelation 21.8. Listen, Jesus runs hell, not Satan. Hell is a place of punishment, not reward. It's the holy God who punishes sin, not Satan. Make sure you have your theology right. What an incredible chapter. 24 and 25. Tortillas and beans, they go together. Don't separate them. Peanut butter and jam. All right? Second coming. Warning the Jews who are going to go through the tribulation and great tribulation. Two of three Jews will die at the hand of the Antichrist. Zechariah says, horrible days to come. Lord, we worship you. We thank you for your love and grace. We pray tonight you would deal with our hearts. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that allows us to hunger and thirst after you and to understand your word, Lord. As you're praying, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God has brought you here to be saved, to repent of your sins. Maybe you're out there on the Internet, or maybe you're out there somewhere in the world listening to the broadcast. Germany, France, Russia, China, Philippines, Mexico, somewhere. 
If you believe that Jesus Christ is God who became man, died for your sins and rose from the dead, you can be saved. You can call upon his name and he will forgive you, make you whiter than snow and give to you eternal life through repentance. As you acknowledging what I just said and asking him to forgive you. If this is your desires by the grace of God, he has initiated through the preaching of his word. If you want to respond in repentance, this is your prayer to the Lord. And he's going to save you right now. Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I ask you to forgive me, Lord, for all my sins. Give me a brand new heart. Baptize me with your Holy Spirit. I accept you as my Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name. Amen.